Hello, hello, hello. Okay, well, if you can find your seat. We'll have some time at the end of the service to uh, talk some more with coffee and tea. We have a few more weeks in Genesis uh, before we take a break for the summer. Uh, every summer we kind of interrupt whatever series we're doing to, to do kind of a summer series. Uh, and this summer uh, we're going to look at the book of Titus in the New Testament. Uh, but we have a few more weeks uh, here in Genesis before we do that. So uh, if you have your Bible opened to Genesis 18, and we're going to look at this text together. All right, let's pray. Father, as we come to your word, we come humbly. Uh, we recognize, Father, that we are needy. And so we come as, uh, as children dependent upon you, dependent upon your spirit. We come, Father, confessing that there are things in this life that we encounter that do not make sense to us, that we cannot understand. And so, Father, we come to, uh, to you now, the one who does understand those things. We ask for help. And we pray that as we look at this text, we pray that your spirit would use it to help us, to strengthen our faith. And Father, help us as we uh, fill ourselves up today, as we encourage one another today in the faith, we pray that as we go out into the world this week, that that faith would sustain us. We thank you for your goodness and your grace. Would you take a few moments and don't say anything out loud, but just quietly pray for yourself, for your own heart, and ask God to speak to you this morning through his word. And then would you take a few moments again, uh, just silently, and just pray for me, pray that God would speak through me. Well, Father, you are sovereign and you are good. And sometimes that's all we have to cling to. But Father, I thank you that it is enough. Would you strengthen us? We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what do you think about the word impossible? What a word, right? Impossible. Uh, it, something cannot be done. Something cannot exist or occur. That's what impossible means. Uh, Adidas years ago had a, uh, a, an advertising campaign, impossible is nothing. That's rubbish, right? All of us know what we feel when we see and hear the word impossible. 
or when we think about a situation that we might find ourselves in that feels impossible. It feels hopeless, doesn't it? It feels overwhelming. It feels like a weight that is too heavy for us to bear. Now, the word impossible is a terrible word. It fills us with fear and anxiety. It fills us with doubt. Maybe you've had a relationship that has been icy for so long that the thought of reconciliation seems impossible. And how does that make you feel? Or perhaps you've been desperate to have friends or coworkers or other people accept you and like you just for who you are. And it feels impossible. And how do you feel about that? Maybe uh, you feel it, it is, uh, you know, you desperately internally want to see something about yourself change. And yet, how often does change seem impossible? And it's discouraging, isn't it? It feels overwhelming, doesn't it? Maybe, maybe it even feels impossible that God could even love you or accept you. And it fills you with fear. From our point of view, Impossible is not nothing. From our point of view, impossible fills us with terror. But how does God feel about impossible? What does God do with impossible? If the text that Jared read earlier sounds familiar, it's because we've seen something like it before in Abraham's story. Remember where we've been. God has made an initial promise to Abraham back in chapter 12 to make him the father of a multitude, the father of a nation. And God has then from chapter 12 kind of filled this out and, and bolstered it, strengthened it with, with certainty uh, as it has progressed. In chapter 16, we saw that Abraham had a child with his wife's servant, Hagar, a boy named Ishmael. And at the end of chapter 16, between chapter 16 and chapter 17, you have a 13-year gap. Because Abraham is going to have to raise that child. He's going to have to raise that boy to manhood. And then in chapter 17, in a parallel to the text today, God is going to appear to Abraham. He's going to reiterate the promise that he made to him. And this time he's going to add a detail that is new. This time he's going to tell Abraham that this child of promise is going to come through Sarah, his wife. And what does Abraham do in response to this promise that God makes him in chapter 17? He laughs. He laughs. Just like Sarah is going to do in our text today. But here's what we'll see as we look back on this text. 
When it comes to impossible, it's God who has the last laugh. When it comes to impossible, it's God who has the last laugh. And the reason that God has the last laugh is because God is able to do the impossible thing. The reason God has the last laugh is because God is able to do the hard things. He is able to accomplish them. So in our text, in the first eight verses of our text, they're they're really there to set up the dialogue in the second half of the text. Abraham is going to recognize as these three visitors come, he's going to recognize that these are not just mere mortals. This is different. This is an appearance of the Lord. Uh, In your English translation, maybe they've translated Lord with all capital letters. That this is an appearance, uh, not merely of three men, but of the Lord and two other beings. And Abraham knows this. Again, he calls one of the men Lord. Now, that could just be a term of respect, but I think if we look through the rest of the encounter, we see that something more is going on. These are not just mere mortals. Just look through this text with me. Notice what Abraham does. When he sees them coming, he runs from the tent uh, in verse 2. He bows himself low to the earth. Two times in verse 3 and in verse 5, he refers to himself as servant. The meal that he, uh, the meal that he suggests to the men, he does far beyond that in terms of its lavishness. We know from chapter 19, verse 1, that two of these men were angels. Later on in the second half of the text, uh, this one is, is going to know what Sarah does within herself. When she laughs to herself, he knows it. See, these are not just ordinary beings. This is an appearance of the Lord, Yahweh. And so... Abraham interrupts his siesta in the middle of the day. He interrupts that to provide this lavish meal for these visitors. And it's in the context of this meal that the dialogue takes place, which is the focal point of the story in verses 9 through 15. In order to bring Sarah into the conversation, the men ask Abraham where she is. And again, this is only our second indication that Sarah is going to be the mother of this child. If you, back in chapter 17, verse 10, we see the first indication that this child of promise is going to come through Sarah. And so they said, where is Sarah? She's in the tent. In verse 10, the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Now that's great news, isn't it? What an incredible thing. What an incredible promise this is. So what's the problem? Well, verse 11. Sarah recognizes the problem. Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. She's not able to have children anymore. That time has 
passed for her. And she says, shall I again have the, the pleasure of children? She's old. Abraham's old. So what, what caused Abraham to laugh in chapter 17 now causes Sarah to laugh. Look in verse 13. Uh, sorry, uh, verse 12. So Sarah laughed to herself as she hears this news. And this leads us then to the central verse in the text. And that is God's comment in verse 14. This is one of those verses that you, uh, that you print out and you put on a magnet and you stick it to your refrigerator, right? So that you can always see it. Uh, it's one of those verses that you put on a piece of paper or you, or you, you write it in the front of your Bible. Uh, you underline it, right? You, you highlight it so that it, it, it never leaves your, your memory. It's that important of a verse. This comment that God makes is critical for us. It's a game changer in our fight for faith. I don't know if you've ever uh, heard of free solo climbing. Free solo climbing. These climbers scale these sheer cliff faces without any ropes, without any anchor holds, without anything other than uh, some you know, powder, some chalk to, to make their hands dry. So they're looking for any little crack in the face of the rock to cling to and hang on to. In verse 14, this comment that God makes in response to Sarah's laughter, that's one of those holds that we cling to in this fight for faith. It's that important to us. It's a verse that when everything seems to be falling apart, it offers us a place to stand. Here's what he says. Is anything too hard for the Lord? In response to the promise that God has made and reiterated, Sarah laughs. And God says, is this too hard for me? Is anything too hard for the Lord? This verse is here to remind us that God is able to do the hard things. He is able to do the impossible. The things that throw us for a loop because they seem too hard or they seem impossible. Those are the things that God is able to do. Nothing is impossible for him. Even causing a barren old woman and a wrinkly old man to have a baby. Nothing is too hard. The word there is the word marvelous. Nothing is too overwhelming or marvelous. Nothing is impossible for God. The God, remember, who created everything we see from nothing merely by speaking it into existence, who judged all of humanity save one family whom he saved out of the waters. Fast forward, the God who took 
a man in the grave for three days and raised him from the dead. This is the God for whom nothing is impossible. Nothing is too difficult. Is there anything that he cannot do? I remember listening not long ago to, uh, to Tim Keller. He was a pastor in New York City. And he was talking about miracles in the Bible that we might struggle to believe. And he said, listen, if we believe that God can take a man who's been dead for three days and raise him from the dead, what can't God do? See, nothing is impossible, God says, in response to their doubt. Sarah and Abraham laugh at God's ability to fulfill this promise. And when the child is born, as we'll see, when the child is born, they will remember that laughter. That's what Isaac means. It's a a forever reminder of their response to God's absurd promise. See, God gets the last laugh because he's able to do it. God gets the last laugh because he is able to do what, from our perspective, is impossible. He is able to do the hard things. But I think this raises an interesting question for us. And it's this. Which hard things does God commit himself to doing? God is able to do the hard things, but which hard things? Which hard things does God commit himself to? How far can we extend verse 14 before we fall into one of two errors? On the one hand, saying that we somehow determine the hard things that God does through our words. Or two, that God is somehow like a genie in a bottle that just does our bidding. See, here's the reality. God is able to do the hard things. But we do not dictate which hard things God commits himself to doing. See, verse 14 establishes an axiom. On which we rightly stand. God delights to do what is impossible. But we need to qualify that a little bit. Lest God seem to fall short of our expectations. When he doesn't work in the way that we want him to work. Nothing can stop God from what he has said he will do. He never fails to keep his promises. And so, look, we are right to cling to and call upon God to be faithful to his word. He will never fail in that. Even if doing so calls him and commits him to doing what looks impossible from our point of view. So God will never leave us nor forsake us even when it doesn't seem possible that he could stay with us. Jesus paid for all of our sin, such that there is nothing of God's wrath for us to drink for those who have placed our trust in him. That's a promise. 
And even when it feels impossible that that could be true, we can stand on it because nothing is impossible for God. He is always able to fulfill His word of promise. But there are many things that we ask of God that quite frankly He has not promised to do. So while he has promised to provide for our daily needs, he hasn't promised to do that through any one particular means or, or to accomplish that in the way that we think he should, do you see? While he has promised to be with us, he has not promised that part of our journey might involve his being with us through difficulty and through trial and through hardship. Here's a hard one. While he has promised that he will eternally save all who call upon him in faith, he has not promised that our spouses or our kids, or our friends will be part of that number. And so we do well to differentiate, if I can say it this way, between God's faithfulness, His absolute faithfulness to what He has promised, and His mercy in doing what He has not promised. So for those things which God has promised, we can rest that nothing will keep him from being faithful. Nothing is too difficult for him. But in everything else, we pray for his mercy. We trust that he is sovereign and he is good, even when we don't understand how things might come about. And we plead for him in prayer to pour out his Mercy, knowing that he is able to work. So God is able to do the hard things, as we see in this text. But he's the one that determines what those hard things are. Our job is to pray. As James 4 says, to pray if the Lord wills. And to believe that he is able to do anything should he choose to do so. What does this mean in our day-to-day living? It means that we cling to the fact that God is great and that God is good. We cling to the fact that God is great And that God is good. And so we cling to his promises as tightly as we can. Knowing that he is absolutely faithful to keep them. No matter the circumstances. And then we pray boldly. For his mercy and his grace. With open hands. Knowing that he is able to do anything. Even the impossible. We hold tightly to God's promises. Knowing that. He will stop at nothing, even the impossible, 
to bring about what is in accordance with his will. He is absolutely faithful. And this is what Abraham and Sarah ultimately did. We know that because of Hebrews 11. Uh, In verse 11, uh, we read that by faith, Sarah received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. And so we pin those promises on the walls of our hearts. And yes, where do we find the promises of God? We find them in his word. And so as we read the word, we take in those promises and we pin them to our hearts. He is always faithful. For him, impossible is nothing. He is always faithful. If the grave couldn't stop him, nothing can. And so that drives us in desperation to pray, asking him to strengthen our feeble faith. And this is the fork in the road at which our faith grows. When our faith meets his faithfulness. So God calls, he promises, and we step in obedience. And we see him prove himself faithful. That's where our faith becomes mature. That's where it grows. But we're also called to ask in prayer for his mercy and grace with open hands as we trust that he is good. See, for those things that burden us, and there are loads of them, for those things that burden us for which God has not spoken specifically in his word, we call out to him for mercy and grace clinging to the fact that nothing is too difficult for the Lord. So no matter what I go to him with, if if he chooses to do it, he is able to do it. There's nothing that is impossible for him. And so I go to him in confident faith. Nothing is impossible. I, I confess that this is difficult for me. I confess this isn't easy for me. I confess that there are friends and family members in my life that in my dark moments I feel are somehow beyond God's reach. And whereas that should draw me to pray more intensely, I confess that often it causes me to draw away and not pray that the gospel would find them. I confess there are relationships that I feel are beyond the hope of reconciliation. I confess there are dark moments where I wonder if God is able to pull off a church plant in Ornmore or to sustain a church here. He's never promised to do so. But he can, because nothing is impossible for him. And my call is to beg him in prayer, to act in mercy, to sustain us in grace, to do the impossible, because nothing is impossible for him. 
And so I do that, and I try to, to move forward, sometimes moment by moment, trusting that He is good. Because look, it's in that struggle, it's in that struggle for faith that God actually accomplishes an even more difficult thing. God does the hard things, but as we wrestle with God in prayer for those hard things, God does an even harder thing. You know what it is? He changes us. He changes us. How much maturity does it take for a child to believe that his parents are working for his good when they tell him no? What does an immature child do when a parent tells them no? You all know. How much maturity does it take for a child to trust his parents when they tell him no? This is what God wants in us. He wants us to be to him as desperate children who trust him completely, even if he doesn't do what we ask him to do the way we want him to do it. We believe that he is good, and so we trust. God uses the difficulty. He uses the struggle to make us more like Jesus. And again, this is where our faith blooms as we trust that he can do the impossible and that he knows best what impossible things to do, even when we don't understand. Uh, consider Romans eight twenty eight. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Verse 29, his purpose, Christ-likeness. And nothing stands in the way of that. At the end of chapter 8, even difficulty, God is able to use that to serve His purposes. To maximize our joy and His glory in Jesus. Nothing stands in the way of that. Think about Paul in 2 Corinthians 12 when he pleads with God to take away this thorn in the flesh. And what is God's response to him? No. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. God says, no, but I will give you the grace to endure it. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, let us then with confidence, following the example of Jesus, let us with confidence approach the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and may find help in our time of need, in the context when it seems difficult for us to persevere, we find the grace that we need. Now, to be sure, that's not easy. The good news is that God works through the encouragement of the community of faith. See, we encourage one another. We hold each other up in prayer. We hold each other up calling one another to stand in faith. So we cling to God's promises together. 
even as we pray together for his mercy and his grace. God always gets the last laugh because nothing is too difficult for him. That's a promise that we should cling to with all our might, that we should encourage one another to cling to. God is sovereign. He hasn't promised that things will come about as we might like them to. And so we pray for his mercy and grace, even as we hold one another up in prayer. This is where the text leaves us today. This is where it leaves us. I love it that verse 14 is phrased in the form of a question. It's not a statement. It's a question. Is anything too hard for the Lord? And that question is something that we are all faced with answering even now. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything impossible for the God that you serve? Is anything outside of his capacity? This is the question we're left with. Will we believe that nothing is impossible and move forward in faith? Or will we fail to believe and cower back in fear? What are you facing today that only God can work out? What are you facing that looks impossible in your life today? You probably have something. Most of us do. Maybe it's a relationship or a lack of a relationship. Maybe it's a need of some kind. Maybe it's uh, the leaving cert coming up or exams. You're at that crossroads. And then that's the question that faces you. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Will you believe that nothing is too big for God and pray like crazy? Or will you fall away in doubt and fear? There's a great story in uh, episode in Mark chapter 9. Jesus has just come down from the mountain of transfiguration. And he meets a man whose son is possessed by a demon. And in order to make a, a, a theological point, no one is able to cast this demon out. And so Jesus comes and he meets this man. And this man, in his despair, he says to him, If you can do anything, have compassion on us. If you can do anything. And Jesus picks up on this. And he says, if, if I can do anything, the implication is, of course I can do anything. I do the impossible. And Jesus says that to this man. All things are possible for those who believe. What does that crossroads look like for you today? Will you believe that nothing is too hard for the Lord. Maybe you're here today and as you think back on your life, as you think back on what you've done, you think there's no way that God could love me. 
there's no way that God could save me. There's no way that God could forgive my sin. Nothing is impossible for God. He can take any sinner who repents and trusts in Jesus and give them new life. Will you trust in him today? Will you believe? Let's pray. Father, as we think about your word, as we think about that, uh, that verse, that question, Father, we pray that your spirit would, would burn that into our hearts. For though it's posed as a question, Father, its intent is to make a statement about you. That nothing is impossible with you. And so, Father, would you give us the courage to believe that? And give us the courage, Father, to pray big, bold prayers. And then to trust you with the outcome. We thank you, Father, that you are absolutely faithful. And nothing stands in the way of your purposes. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So this might be a new song uh, for GCBC. Um, it's a concept that I think we need to be reminded of, I know I do in my life, um, that we are children of God. That when we give our life to the Lord, we become his children. And we're no longer a slave to our fears and our sin, things like that but we are children of God. So let's all stand together and let's sing this together. <laughs>